Good morning again, everyone. We are, uh, I'm excited to be starting our new sermon series with you today. We have dedicated this year to focusing on loving our neighbors. And we spent the last three weeks looking at the command that Jesus gave us and the passage where Jesus most digs into that. And today, we are jumping all the way back into Genesis. Now, Genesis may not seem like the most obvious place to go to talking about loving our neighbors. I'm hoping to change your mind about that today, because today we're going to be introducing this series and looking at why we're going to be going through the, the second main section of Genesis from 12 to the end. Uh, because really, Abraham, I'm going to argue, was the first person called by God to love his neighbors, and as the first person to do something, he made all the most obvious mistakes, which makes him a great person, he and his family, to learn from. And it, hopefully this will give you a different way to read Genesis, because if you're like me, uh, it's not always, it, wasn't, it hasn't always been obvious why the stories about Abraham matter, because you kind of get the sense, well, God promised he was going to do something later, and Abraham just has to wait around for it to happen after he dies, and he's not really doing anything. But actually, Abraham is a very important mission, and we're going to talk about that today. So we're going to spend um, basically up until Easter going through these stories. And it all starts in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham to begin this special mission. So here's the passage that we're going to be in today. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is the call that God gives to Abraham, and who at this point is known as Abram, but for simplicity, I'm just going to call him Abraham. This is the call that God puts on his life, and it is the call that he puts on God's people, and it is the call that we share in today. And... Again, if you're like me, most of the time I would have said, well, he's talking about Jesus, and then just move on. But actually, as we unpack this calling, this calling is for Abraham and for every generation of God's people up to Jesus and then leading on after Jesus. And so we're going to unpack this passage to understand what exactly it is that God is calling Abraham to do and to participate in because it sets off the, uh, all these adventures happening in Canaan that are really adventures in trying to figure out how to love your neighbor. So let me convince you that this, these instructions are about loving your neighbor. Let's look at how it begins. God said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, remember, first thing to remember with the Bible, wasn't written in English. And so there are nuances Right? I know, surprising. Uh, and there are nuances that don't always come across in English. So here's the first nuance that I want you to understand. There are a variety of ways to tell a person uh, or ask a person to go somewhere in Hebrew. And there's a range, just like in English. There are really polite, um, light suggestion ways of asking someone to do something. And there are very stern, uncompromising ways of commanding someone to do something, right? We have a variety of ways you can ask. Anybody ever ask, use the wrong uh, way to ask somebody in the wrong circumstance, right? I have uh, used a stronger, I have told my wife to do something when I should have asked her to do something. I have also asked my son to do something when I should have told him to do something, right? <laughs> I mean, I, it often happens that I'll have to say, hey, everybody ready for morning prayers? 
Let me rephrase. Hey, everybody, it's time for morning prayers. <laughs> um, so in this case, when God tells Abraham to go, he tells Abraham to go. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't invite. He commands. One of the scholars that I looked at chose to translate it this way. Get yourself from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. God is assuming a position of authority over Abraham and telling him, this is where you must go. There's another nuance to the way that this clause connects to the next one. In the words that are used, there is a connection between the instruction that God gives, the command that God gives Abraham to go, and everything that comes after. So another um, accurate, a more accurate way to translate this might be, get yourself from your, people, from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, so that I may make you into a great nation. For the purposes of me making you into a great nation. Now that's important because what that's telling us is that what God is going to do through Abraham needs to happen in a particular place. God is sending him there and saying, go there so that I can bless you because my blessing involves you being there. My intention is to bless you in that place. Now, the Bible never really tells us why God picked one patch of dirt over another, why he picked Canaan instead of Mesopotamia, but he did pick Canaan. He said, go over there because my plan involves you being in that place and blessing you in that place. Meaning that if Abraham had stayed in Mesopotamia, all this other stuff wouldn't have happened. God wouldn't say, hey, I'd kind of rather bless you in Canaan, so, uh, but you know, wherever you stay is fine, I'll, I'll bless you. No, it was, go over there because I want to do something with you in that place. So the first thing that we see is that God commanded Abraham to go on a mission. This wasn't an invitation. This wasn't a, saying, hey, Abraham, you won the lottery. You get God's blessings and a new car and an all-expense-paid trip to Canaan. This wasn't a reward, it wasn't the price is right, this was a command and a mission, and everything that comes out of it is part of that mission. Right? So what is the mission? Well, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, the word bless is not as a big of a deal for us as it was in the time in which this was written. Because in a world of competing gods, the whole point of religion in this, in this particular time was to get the blessing of the gods. The gods, the world was just a hierarchy of people that you control and people that control you and people that can benefit you. And that, that structure just went up into the heavens so that there were gods who could help you who could bless you, who could be on your side if you were loyal to them. And the whole point of religion was to get the blessing of your God. The blessing of your God, now when we talk about blessings, often we're thinking of health and wealth stuff because that's how the words have been co-opted to mean, oh, God's going to bless you with wealth. He's going to bless you with possessions. He's going to bless you with things. And there's material uh, prosperity was certainly part of that. Health was part of the blessing. Uh, having children, lots of children, was part of the blessing. But in general, it meant a lot more than that. In general, it meant the God, the God was with you, was active in your life, was participating in what you were doing. Because it was very possible in their mindset for the gods to forget you were there. The gods didn't care about most poor people, didn't even realize they were there, right, in their mindset. So for God to bless you is to say, hey, I notice you, I see you, I'm with you, and I'm acting in your life. 
So what God is saying here is go to that place. I am going to be present and active in your life. Doesn't mean Abraham's going to get what he, everything he wants. In fact, a, the major plot point is the fact that for 25 years, all Abraham wants is a son and he doesn't get one. And it feels like time is running out. But it does mean that everything that's happening in Abraham's life, God is participating in, God is active in, and there's a purpose for all of it. So that's the second part. God is going to be present and active in Abraham's life. The next part of this poem, this instruction says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. This is a very important phrase. You will be a blessing. What that means is that, and, and when you understand that the blessing is God being active in your life, and especially if you understand the mindset of this time where God's had different localities and God may be, a God may be present or may not be present or may be paying attention or may not be paying attention, to say, you will be a blessing means that he will be a means of God being active around him. Because if God, God's got a laser focus on Abraham, right? It's kind of like if you watch Lord of the Rings and the eye of Sauron would look at something and be focused on a whole area and see everything. Like, like it's, God is following Abraham around. And so if God is watching Abraham and Abraham goes into this town, God's watching this town. If you've ever been part of a, a small town of its own economy, you know how a person who has a prosperous business can be a major blessing to an economy, to a town, right? So one material way that Abraham is blessing these, these communities is that God is blessing him to be a wealthy person, and when he comes into a town, everybody's got work, right? All his shepherds need new clothes, so all the tailors have lots of business, you know, and, and that is a major blessing. But also, and more importantly, God is present with Abraham so that now the God of Abraham and Isaac is paying attention to this town. And because God works through Abraham, you really want to be the person that Abraham is working with. Because that means God, you know that God is participating in your life too. So what's, what's happening here is God is promising to act through Abraham in his neighborhood. And where you really see this, once you understand this, you can understand what's happening in, the, in some of the following verses where it seems like it's just a bunch of bland details. There's something cool happening here. It says that Abraham, when God sent him, uh, when God sent Abraham, he went. And it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and I in the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. It's actually a really cool verse, a really cool passage, especially if you have a map of ancient Canaan in your head, which all of us do, right? I totally didn't need to look up a map to understand the visual of this. Um, as I was, uh, when we first started looking at doing neighboring, I was talking with Pastor Rachel, and she mentioned to me something she had heard from someone else, and I love this visual, and it's actually in the background of this sermon series. She said, Oh, yeah, I heard a saying that we should be a river, not a lake. Which I like a lot. Because when God tells Abraham, you will be a blessing, he's saying, you're a river, not a lake. The point isn't for you to collect all the blessings. The point is where you go, you are bringing the blessings of God. And as you look at the map of Abraham's journeys, you can see kind of lightly on the right, the Jordan River that goes down and irrigates that valley. 
But if you follow the journey of Abraham, he's cutting through Canaan and, it's, and establishing places to worship God. And it's almost like he's cutting a spiritual irrigation right through the middle of Canaan. Because now there are altars to Yahweh. People are hearing the name of God. There are places to worship him. And so you're already seeing God's presence in a special way go through Canaan simply as Abraham takes his first tour of Canaan. And so people who, have, who, you know, who lived in those regions and knew the map, they would say, oh yeah, he just cut right through and now there's an altar there, there's an altar. In a region where you couldn't worship Yahweh anywhere, now all of a sudden, God's being talked about. So he is... Um, so he is blessing others. But that's only the second step. Because it continues, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now remember, we're talking about how a blessing means God is active in your life. God is present and active in your life. So we could translate that word bless this way. We could say, I will be with those who are with you. What he's saying is those people who bless you, meaning they're present and active, and they go along with what you're doing and they support you, I am in turn going to bless them too. I'm going to be on that. If they're on your side, I'm on their side. And I will participate in what they're doing too. Then it says, whoever curses you, I will curse. And if you read this the wrong way, then you would, may get the sense that God is becoming Abraham's hitman. That God is his bodyguard and says, hey, anybody you don't like, I'll get rid of them for you. Right? Anybody who opposes you, anybody who says something mean to you, tell me, tell me who they are and I'll, I'll get rid of them for you. That's not what he's saying. And part of the reason why we miss that is because of the way it's translated. It's two different words are being translated the same way. The two different words for curse are not the same in Hebrew. So the word that describes what other people are doing, it describes a person who like calls down a curse on another person and says, I want, I want the gods to stop that person. I want the gods, like, and, and um, you know, it's like a curse that I hope you fail. So the people who are cursing Abraham are saying, I hope you fail. I want this to stop. I don't want you to succeed in blessing others. They are, they are trying to stop Abraham. Now, what God is doing in response is a different word, and that word essentially means the opposite of blessing. If blessing is that God is going to be present and active in your life and is going to work through you and support what you're doing, he's saying, yeah, the people that are trying to stop you, yeah, I'm not blessing them. I'm not participating in what they're doing. I'm not going to make sure they succeed. I'm not going to be active in what they're doing. I'm going to be active against what they're doing. Really, what God is saying is, not only am I going to send you on this mission, but I'm going to make sure that it gets done. I'm going to go with you and protect you. So he's saying, whoever opposes you, I will be against. I will be with you, and I'll be with anybody who's with you. But if somebody tries to stop you in your mission, I will oppose you. I will, I, will, I will be against them. Sorry, I will be against them. So God promised to protect Abraham in his mission. So this is something that we often get wrong, and, it, and it's one of the reasons why we should never get theology from our worship songs, because it's really hard to be, soup, to be really specific in a worship song. And one of the things I've noticed, I think I've talked about this before, there's a lot of worship songs nowadays that talk about God fighting my battles. Okay? That's, a, that's a common theme. And it's kind of accurate. It depends on what the battles are and why they're being fought. Actually, what, it's true. God fights his own battles. And he calls us to be on his side. 
Uh, there are battles I have been in where God should not be on my side, and God has not promised to be on my side in those battles, right? It depends on why the battle is happening. So what God has actually promised is not that you'll succeed in everything that you want to do, but that he will protect you in the fulfilling of the mission that he's given you. Now we get to the last stage of the blessing where it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this is where my brain wants to jump to say, okay, he's talking about Jesus and move on. Like, all right, insert Jesus, move on to the next chapter. And this does reach its ultimate fulfillment in and through Jesus. But this, is not, this does not mean that we say, okay, everything God said to Abraham, just wait until the New Testament for it to be fulfilled. It's actually a mission that God calls Abraham to participate in, and God starts accomplishing through Abraham. Because this is part of a layered poem. Notice that he keeps bringing up blessing. God keeps bringing up blessing and saying a slightly different thing about it each time. He's building up to something. So he says, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Those are layers. Those are levels of a plan. So I'm going to visualize this for you, okay? Here's you. Your dot. Okay? Now, when God says, I will bless you, he's saying, I will be with you. I will be in your present. I will be present and active in your life, in your sphere. Right? So this is, I will bless you. Then he says, you will be a blessing. That means that as I am going with you, I will also be with the people that you're with. If God is with you, God's with your neighbors. Right? The people who are in your sphere. As he's active in your life, then he's be, when he's active in what you're doing, then he's active in the lives of the people that you're, you're interacting with. Right? So this is what it means to say you will be a blessing, that other people will be affected by God's presence in your life. But then he says, those who bless you, I'm going to bless them. Which means that each one of those other dots gets their own circle. Now God is present in their lives. And notice that the center person is in like five circles now. Like everybody is now in multiple circles. Okay? So he's saying that I will bless those who bless you. And ultimately, there are people in those circles and as you continue this, when he says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, what he's saying is it continues till it looks like this. Right? That as, as the blessing goes out, it's meant to cover over everyone. Because this is how God originally designed it to be. This is what it means to live out the image of God, is that we are being active in the lives of our neighbors and loving each other. And ultimately, this is what we want a neighborhood to look like. Right? This is what we want the church to look like. So what God is saying in this instruct, set of instructions is he promised to spread Abraham's blessing to everyone. And that is the mission of, that is, was the mission of Israel. And then Israel failed because it turns out human beings don't have the resources to, uh, we don't have the, um, we actually don't really want to be blessings to everybody else. We mainly just want to be blessings to ourselves. And it turns out we can't do that without some serious soul surgery. And so Jesus came to change us through the redemption that we can receive through his blood and through the Holy Spirit changing us so that this can begin to work. And the first thing that we see in the New Testament of this process beginning to work is that the, the, the Jewish followers of Jesus 
that began to see people from the nations join. And all of a sudden, this web, for the first time, really expanded beyond Israelites. And we began building the church in the midst of the Roman Empire. This net started growing. And this, this is the mission that the church is on, is that all the world will be blessed through what God started in Abraham. In fact, in uh, Galatians, Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are on the same mission. We are called to do the same thing. What God said to Abraham, he also says to us. It's just that we have a better hope of being the blessing because we have been redeemed and transformed by Jesus and we are in the process of being redeemed and we have the Holy Spirit active in the church. So as we read this and we hear what God told Abraham to do, we also hear what he's telling us to do. So what I want to do now is I want to talk just briefly about what Abraham had to do and what we have to do to be a part of what God is doing. So first things first, the first word God says to Abraham is go. We have to go to our neighbors. Now that's a bit of a, uh, uh, um, it's a bit ironic because neighbor is the person who's near you. So I'm not talking about go to the other side of the world. Unless, I don't know, you're leaving for South Korea in a, in a couple of weeks, like Grace is, and going, spending a semester in another hemisphere. So you can go. But what God is, when we have to go to our neighbors, what that means is, it doesn't mean we're all going to be overseas missionaries, but it does mean that you actually have to be intentional about going to your neighbors. It's not a matter of just existing alongside them, but there's an intentionality that God has you in a place for a purpose, and you need to be intentional about that. Abraham didn't just go to Canaan for the purposes of sitting around and collecting God's blessings. He was on a mission about which he had to be intentional. And each one of us has to be intentional about the mission that we are on. It's not enough simply to coexist with your neighbors. It's not enough to be a good neighbor in the sense that your, other, your neighbors never realize you're there. We are supposed to be intentional and active in seeking opportunities to help others. So one of the reasons why I'm encouraging you all to grab one of these magnets and to fill in the, learn the names of your neighbors. We talked about this this morning. Somebody asked tonight, what about when neighbors have financial needs? And you have, the, have to navigate, how can I help that person? Um, how do I know whether I'm helping or enabling, that kind of thing? And what I said was, well, the way to know how to help someone in a financial crisis is to start to get know, to know them about five years beforehand. Because first of all, you got to know somebody, a neighbor, for a while before they'll tell you about their financial crisis. Right? We have to be intentional about building relationships for the future, because you're probably not going to find your neighbor left on the side of the road by robbers. And if you do, you should call the professionals to help them. Right? But... If we're going to love our neighbors, we have to be intentional. We actually have to go to them and get to know them. And we have been told the same thing. Jesus did say, go uh, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he did tell the disciples, "Go, uh, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We have been sent. We are meant to go to our neighbors. 
Second of all, we have to share the blessing we've been given. We have to be rivers, not lakes. I'm going to tell you something that I realized when I was going through this sermon. Uh, I, when I went back to Enterprise, where I, I worked before here, where I, I ministered before here, uh, for the first visit, somebody asked me, how do you like being a preacher? And I said, I love it so much. It is the most fulfilling thing I have ever done. I love being a preacher. Let me tell you something. God didn't make me to be a preacher. He gifted me, I think, to be a preacher, but he did not make me to be a preacher. Being a preacher, being a teacher, being a pastor is not the purpose of my life. Because all of us have, I can tell you exactly the purpose of your life. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Actually, you know what God made me to do? You know my purpose? Love my neighbor. He also gifted me to be a preacher and to teach and called me to minister here, and that is important. And each one of us has talents and gifts that he has called us to. But every one of us, we were actually made as a species to love our neighbors. And when I get to heaven, I think Jesus and I are going to have a lot more conversations about how I loved my neighbors than how I put together my sermons and how, uh, you know, how well I picked out backgrounds for them and that kind of stuff, right? Like, I was made to be a, a neighbor and also some other things. And that's true of every one of us. Sharing is not what you do afterward. It's not what you do with the leftovers. It's not the extra credit. Sharing the blessings God has given us is the reason why we have them. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is what we're made for. We're made to be rivers, not lakes. And so when God blesses us, we are meant to be sharing that. Now, I'm not simply talking about money, although money can be one of the biggest forms and one of the hardest to part with. It can... It can, but there are so many really simple, you're going to laugh at these kinds of examples, but they're real. They make a difference. Like, what about the fact that I may not want to have people over, you know, when we have hospitality, when we have people come over, you ever feel that feeling like, I don't want to offer them all the drinks we have in the fridge because there's, I only have one of that really good one that I want to keep for myself. Like, I've been saving that. You know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to share that food. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, in hospitality, in the Bible, you, give, you offer the guests the best of everything you have. Like, I don't want to give that one away. I've been saving that for a special thing, you know? We have that instinct to hold things back. That can be our money. That can be our time. That can be our food. That can be our attention. That can be the, I just got home from work, and I really would rather spend the rest of my day inside reading a book rather than talking to this person about their problems. We are called to share, and we have what we've been given in order to share it. And finally, and this is the hardest one for Abraham, and it's the hardest one, I think, for all of us, we have to trust God's plan. This is why God says, I will curse those who curse you, because when you try to share God's blessing, you run into opposition, because it runs the opposite direction of the way the world wants to go. And so God, Abraham has to trust that God's got his back because God is calling him to make some hard decisions and the math doesn't work out unless God is on Abraham's side of the equation, right? When God says, leave your family, leave your inheritance, leave every form of stability you have and go to this random patch of land, that only makes sense if God says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. 
right? And so if he's going to do that, he's got to trust that promise that God made him. And that is what Abraham is going to struggle with every step of the way. Because you know what the first thing Abraham does after that tour of, of uh, the promised land? You know the very first thing he does? It says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Where did God tell him to go? Go to Canaan. Stay there. I'm going to bless you there. I'm going to take care of you. He's like, oh, wait, food's, food prices are going up? I'm getting to Egypt. And next week, we're going to talk about what happens in Egypt. This is the beginning of a, the, his first misadventure. Because Abraham struggled to believe. The funny thing is, this is a spoiler, right? God has just told him. It's like, you ever watch a, a when you watch a movie prequel, you're like, okay, I know this person's going to live because they, they're in the, the first movie, or they're in the sequel, right? So I know they're not going to die. Same thing with Abraham. God says he's going to be a great nation. So you know he's not going to die before he has at least one kid, right? Like, it's the boring plot. You know he's going to live. And yet Abraham's not so sure. But Jesus tells us the same thing, that we need to trust God. He says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, all the things we worry about and we stress over, those things will be given to us as well. If we are going to be a part of God's mission, we have to be willing to make decisions where the math only works out if God's on our side of the equation. And that's where it's going to be hard. Now, the the best part about this story, though, is that this whole thing of God speaking to Abraham is not really about what Abraham's going to do. It's ultimately about what God is going to do. It is what God does that makes the whole thing work. So here's what I'll tell you. So what I wanted to do now is just look at three things that God says he will do. First of all, God will provide the blessing. The goal is not, you, you're, he doesn't say, I want you to go and bless others. Because Abraham doesn't really have the resources of blessing. He's not God. Everything he has is given to him. And actually, the things he contributes to God's plan generally are usually mistakes. When Abraham improvises, it doesn't go well. But Abraham is being given a blessing by God. The blessing comes from God. He's the river, not the spring. Right? And Jesus tells us, when he says, go out and make disciples of all nations, how does he end it? He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is present and active with us. And that's what makes the Great Commission possible, is the fact that Jesus is active and present as we go to make disciples. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, again, that's not, that's not a promise that your bank account is always going to be overflowing, but that is a promise that God will always provide for you everything you need to bless others the way he's called you to bless them. God bankrolls the blessing. He doesn't necessarily bankroll your hobbies, but he bankrolls the blessing. And if you're not sure, if you feel like God isn't uh, giving you what you need to bless others, may, maybe you start asking, what has he given you? Because you will probably find that in what he has given you, there's a blessing to share. The second thing that God says he will do in this is that he will protect us in our mission. And again, this is that necessary part of the, that makes the math work. That we can go out and do these things that are maybe risky or maybe will cost us or are challenging, make, you know, maybe things that we're afraid of. 
that are outside of our comfort zone, it's worth it because God has said that he will protect us. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus protects us for the purpose of the mission. And he will be with us so that we can take on the risk of maybe getting laughed at when we ask somebody if we can pray for them. Or maybe having, you know, we can, we can risk a conversation that we normally wouldn't have because we know that it's a conversation a person needs to have. This is going to make me uncomfortable or this is outside my, my comfort zone. or All those kinds of risks that we take, we do it because God is with us. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, God will make the blessings grow. This is what encourages us to keep at it because uh, it is very possible. This is like, okay, we talk about this when we talk about our preschool. That our preschool is a, a ministry where we, hopefully, if they're blessing these kids the way we want it to bless them, we won't actually see the exact fruits of it. Because what we're hoping is that it bears fruits throughout, bears fruit throughout their lives as we help lay a foundation of knowing Jesus, that, that the experiences they had in preschool will bear fruit when they're 18 and and. 30 and 40 and 60, right? And we only see brief windows of that. But we're not the ones who are able to guarantee what will happen as a result of the work that we've done. And so often we get discouraged because we say, I've been talking to my neighbors and I don't see anything changing. I've been loving my neighbors and it's not getting through or, or we, we get discouraged because of all these things. But that's, that means we've forgotten who's providing the blessing and who provides the growth. In the Corinthian church, they, they started fighting about who the best church leader was and who, who they were all going to be loyal to. And Paul says, that's, that's silly. Why would you care about following a human being when what matters is what's being done by God? He says, we are only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And God plays a long game. You know how long it took for the Israelites to inherit the land of Canaan? 400 years. It happened. God was faithful, and he did exactly what he promised, exactly according to his plan. And what gave them, each generation, the faith to continue on was knowing that God was going to accomplish it, and that that meant that what they were doing was not in vain. In the same letter, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your job is not to make the fruit happen. Your job is to plant the seeds, to show the love, and let God do the work of making it grow. And hopefully you'll get to see as much of that growth as possible. But know that God makes it work in ways that you probably will never see. In Hebrews 11, in the hall of fame of faith, he talks about how Abraham didn't get to see the promise fulfilled, but he stuck to it, and it wasn't in vain. And for each of us, we have the same promise. And so I encourage you, as we step out into loving your neighbor, that that you have the faith that God will protect you, God will provide the blessing, and God will ensure the growth.
Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful that you call us to a mission, that you involve us in what you're doing, and that you do not ask us to save the world through what we have to offer, because what we have to offer is what the world is already made of. Father, we thank you that because of your work through Jesus that we have you to offer, because you are present in our lives and in what we do as a congregation, as your followers, and in each of your congregations. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts to love others, hearts to be courageous, hearts to trust the math that when you are with us, nothing can oppose us. Help us to trust the promise and to be a part of the mission. In Jesus' name, amen.